You're listening to Go, Go, Stop, Go, a show about major events, issues, and turning points in people's lives. I'm your host, Jay Badenhope. Today's guest is Rick Richmond, someone I didn't really know before we had the conversation you were about to hear. To prepare, I asked Rick to put me in contact with three people who knew him well, and they told me about Rick's jump into entrepreneurship, which is how I learned about him, as well as some of the emotional turning points in his life. Before the recording started, Rick said he was willing to talk about all of it, including addiction, loneliness, unemployment, and a truly tragic loss. He talks about his perseverance through all that pain and how he's grown happier and healthier. We also geek out on some details of the business he started and how it connects to his life overall. It may be the most I've talked about business so far on this show. It feels fitting, though, since his business gives him so much purpose, and outside of this podcast, I work in product management and marketing. Life goes on, right? So what are Rick's stories? What kind of business does he run? You'll hear that and more in a moment in my conversation with Rick Richmond. I'm here with Rick Richmond, who I got to know as the CEO of FirePie, what I discovered as a pizza truck in my neighborhood in San Francisco. And through talking to people who know him and checking out the website, I've learned uh, really much bigger plans around pizza. But what struck me was a letter that he wrote that came with my pizza. And it's not often that you get a pizza with a manifesto, which is kind of how it read to me. So Rick, uh, welcome and thank you for sitting down with me. I'd love for you to read your letter that you wrote. Thanks so much, Jay. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. So this letter was from my heart and it's to my customers. Hello from FirePie. We wanna let you know how grateful we are to have you as a customer. You are why we exist. I'm Rick, our founder. In last year, I left a comfortable tech career and risked all to start FirePie because I believe the current state of pizza from the quality to the delivery process is broken. To me, the experience is complex with endless decisions, slow, one hour or more for delivery, and underwhelming institutional ingredients and lukewarm. Today's pizza and delivery companies seem to be fine with this. I think there's a better way. This is why I started this experiment called FirePie, to provide a simple, fast, and amazing pizza experience. We have a simple menu composed of the three classics, a 900-degree Italian wood-burning oven that provides 90-second cook times when you walk up to order, or rapid delivery in about 15 minutes. Why should we have to wait for great pizza when we're hungry? Because of you, this experiment is working. As a FireBike customer, you are helping to end pizza as usual. By choosing us, you are also showing other businesses that your experience matters. We agree. Thank you for joining us. If you have comments or suggestions, please email me at rickrichman at firepie.com. I love hearing from our customers, and your feedback is highly valuable. We are also always interested in hearing from potential investors. I don't have an Ivy League degree or VC money, but I have you, my customer, in the stream of providing a simple, fast, and amazing pizza experience for us all in our busy lives. From my heart, I want to say again, thank you. You are why we exist. Best regards, Rick Richmond, founder, FirePie. Great, and and Rick, that really stood out for me that you left this career in tech to to go out on this journey, and I want to definitely get into talking about your your journey into running your own pizza business. But before that, I wanted to get more of a sense of your background. And I was wondering if you could tell me about your childhood. Like, where, where did you grow up and, and what was your childhood like? I am from Los Angeles, from San Fernando Valley. I grew up in Encino. And I my parents got divorced when I was six years old. And I ended up moving up to Northern California. Uh, <clears throat> during college, uh, when I was living back down in Los Angeles, uh, 
I worked at California Pizza Kitchen. And they use Italian wood-burning ovens that heat up to about 800 degrees. And I forgot to order a barbecue chicken for a customer, and uh, I rushed it. I went to the expediting station, and I timed it, and it literally took four minutes. And it only took 90 seconds to actually cook the pizza. And for me, that was fascinating. That was faster than a hamburger. So since I come from a family of entrepreneurs, my mother was a trailblazer in women's rights and started her own private company, uh, a school in Los Angeles in the 70s, which was unheard of back then uh, for a woman to do that. And everyone told her not to, but she didn't listen and she just did it. And she was highly successful and she sold that school. My father, he was also he is also an entrepreneur, uh, and he uh, <clears throat> uh, has had his own company. So I wanted to do a drive-through version of California Pizza Kitchen. Well, I was in my 20s, and I couldn't raise the money, uh, but I did go through the California Pizza Kitchen management training program. I was fascinated with it. So I was downtown Los Angeles in their commissary at 4 in the morning making pasta, learning about the entire operation. And from that, I uh, ended up connecting with some folks uh, that were starting a chain of wood-fired pizza restaurants in San Jose and Los Gatos. And I came on, I moved from Los Angeles uh, up to Northern California uh, as their consultant, uh, then general manager, and I'm still a limited partner in that pizza chain. But that's a rough business, and unless I owned half the company, it wasn't worth the time. Mobile phones were becoming very popular, uh, and uh, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in for a second because I know you you worked in mobile phone sales, but um, I was just kind of curious to to get some more of the background from from really when you were a child. Um, so I you were kind enough to give me some names of people who know you pretty well, and I reached out to them to do a little background, and I think one of them described you as mischievous. As a child, I don't know if that word resonates with you at all. Uh, I can say that would be very accurate. I was told by my parents that when they left me alone in my crib, I actually took the crib apart. Uh, I That might have been the first signs of my uh, mischievous behavior. Uh, I was a very antsy kid, and I also had a lot going on inside of me so when the divorce happened uh, there's obviously a lot of things that can go on with a with a child and for me uh, I I spent a lot of time uh, in the mountains behind our house uh, climbing the mountains alone or with some of my friends um, and, and I would do things that seem mischievous. Uh, for example, uh, around Christmas and Hanukkah time, uh, the next-door neighbors had a pine tree forest. Uh, I thought it would be a great idea to cut down a couple of those trees with a saw I found in our garage um, and then take them to my house and put them in planters that did not go over well. What happened was the neighbors came knocking at the door and said, we think your son has cut down a couple of our trees. Well, it was not a pleasant evening, uh, I can say that, and uh, I learned a big lesson, which is not to cut down other people's trees in their backyards and bring it to your house. So those are some of the examples of the things that I would do uh, as a kid. And uh, I think you, I get the sense from talking with some of the folks who knew you that there maybe were some broader lessons that you learned because what I heard was that at some point, maybe, I don't know if it was your childhood, teenage years, maybe later, that, that they observed you going through what they called a spiritual shift. I was wondering if you could talk about that. Well, yes, there was a, a very big shift that took place uh, at a couple points in my life. I need to talk about the first shift, which was when I was 17 years old, and I was living at my dad's house, um, and I was starting to get heavily involved with a lot of, of drinking, essentially. Uh, I drank a lot, and I was a rebellious kid, and I was at my dad's house, uh, and 
I had this beat up car. It was a Mercury Cyclone GT. I bought it for a hundred dollars from my friend. This car, it leaked oil so bad that the engine would smoke on the freeway. I, the police actually had to pull me over. They thought my car was on fire and, uh, I didn't really have any money. And so one day, uh, during the day, uh, while everybody was gone in our little neighborhood, um, I tried to start my car and the battery was dead. So I did what any obvious person would do. Uh, I went and looked at the car that was parked next to me, our neighbor's car, and uh, I found their battery worked. So I took that and I put it into my car. Well, it was Sunday morning, and apparently that family had gotten together. They got in the car, go to the beach, and they turned the ignition, and nothing happened. And then they looked at my car, and they look, and they knew what I looked like, and I was a rough kid, long hair. Um, and uh, they popped the hood and saw their battery. So I'm sleeping, uh, sleeping hungover, and I hear a knock at the door. Again, another knock at the door. And I hear voices muffled. I hear loud walking up the stairs. It's my dad. He opens the door, my room, says, Rick, did you steal the neighbor's battery? And I said, of course not. Well, he knew I was lying, and he kicked me out. So I was on my own at 17. And, uh, <clears throat> and that was the beginning of my, what I would call a spiritual journey. At that point, I had the two options. Surf, uh, I could couch surf with some pretty scary people. Uh, or move down to Los Angeles and live in the basement of a church with my sister, who was a born-again Christian at the time. Which, uh, neither of those sounded like good options. But I knew I wanted a better life for myself. So I moved down to Los Angeles and uh, I moved into the basement of a church. And uh, I actually cleaned up my life a little bit. But it didn't stop uh, something was happening, which is that I had untreated alcoholism is what I would call it. And so through college and so forth, uh, I definitely struggled and, and the problems became worse. And here's what happened. Uh, I was starting to depend on alcohol, um, for everything. I had a high profile job in San Francisco downtown uh, and I would basically work and then drink alone at home drink myself into oblivion every night and then try to cover it up I feel like I had a double life this is near the end of my drinking long story short um, I realized one day as I was putting gas in my car trying to figure out what liquor store I was going to go to to get that bottle of, of vodka because I would change liquor stores so that people didn't think I had a drinking problem. Uh, and I said, and I tried, I really tried to stop. And I'd gotten a month together one time where I wasn't drinking, but I just realized I just, I couldn't stop. And uh, I had this moment where I realized this is going to happen for a long time and I can't live this way anymore. And I need help. So I ended up getting help, and I went into 12-step, and that's where the big shift happened, and that was a game-changer for me, and that was over 18 years ago. So from there, I really learned how to be present for life and to become a grown-up, and that's really what's taken to me to where I am now. I really thought that was... A beautiful expression you just used present for life what, what does that mean to you well present for life for me means that in my relationships in my communications with other people that I am there that I'm listening that I am in the moment it's not an easy thing a lot of the times I'm spinning out on the future or I'm thinking about the past and that is not being present and when I'm drinking, I'm completely unconscious. I'm generally thinking about the drinking, recovering from drinking, or, uh, <coughs> or drinking. And that is not present. It's, and I was numb uh, for everything. 
So that is what I mean when I say present for life. I feel everything now. The pain is richer. The joy is deeper. But I'm alive. I can feel everything. And I'm present. Thank you for, for sharing that. That's that's a lot. Um, so I want to talk about college for a second. Um, so were you, you mentioned getting kicked out of home. Was that before you went to college? It was. So when I moved back down to Los Angeles to live in the basement of a church, I actually was able to get uh, my act together for a little while. And uh, I went back to school and I ended up getting accepted into a university in Los Angeles and, uh, <clears throat> and started going to school uh, to the best of my ability. Of course, uh, my drinking was progressing, but I still was able to show up and <laughs> pass classes for a while. So that that was my story in college. And that's when uh, I got my job at California Pizza Kitchen and and then went into the pizza business and then uh, went into tech. Because I think so. Tell me if I heard this right or not. But I think my understanding was so since you were on your own and away from home. You mentioned getting accepted in the college, but how did you how did you make that work financially? I mean, you were, you were basically on your own at this point. You didn't have, it didn't sound like your, your parents' financial support at this point. Well, I was on my own in the fact that I didn't live with my parents, but uh, my, my, they helped out wherever they can. But in addition to that, I worked full-time through school. It took me six years. But that was what I mean when I say that uh, I was on my own. They would help me with rent. Uh, from time to time and they did whatever they could thank you um so there was since you were talking about your experience with substance abuse i was i remember i read an article recently talking about the restaurant and food service industry that it's, I think, the second biggest private employer in the U.S., but also has one of the highest incidences of substance abuse. And I think it was something like 17% of people working in that industry face substance abuse. And so I was just wondering if you had a perspective on that, both as someone who's been an employee in that space and now the CEO of a food business. Um, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts about the industry and and just what people are going through in that industry. Well, that does not shock me, the 17% estimate of people that have a, a substance abuse problem that are in that in this industry, the, the food business. It is a business that enables uh, and encourages uh, <clears throat> drinking uh, and the use of drugs uh, in a lot of operations. And you're getting cash uh, every day. Uh, so it, I, it makes sense to me uh, that that would be a, a business where people would be uh, indulging more. And as people indulge more, I believe that some people cross that line. Some people don't. Some people do. And I want to go now a little bit more into your, your later years in your career. So you moved you, you worked um as a manager at california pizza kitchen you mentioned um, and we started to talk a little bit about working in i think you were working in sales for some mobile phone companies um but as you talked about in in your letter um i think you also then were working in tech at some point i was wondering if you could talk about your your years working in mobile phone sales and technology and, and ultimately what led you to starting your own pizza company it's really funny how the whole thing evolved, but uh, after California Pizza Kitchen uh, and not being able to raise the money to do a drive-through uh, version of CPK, it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to unleash this convenience potential of, of these wood-burning ovens, these high-temperature wood-burning ovens that cook a pizza in 90 seconds. 
But I abandoned that. And when I went into the world of mobile, uh, I started with consumer. And then uh, I became the sales manager for uh, <clears throat> in business sales uh, for uh, what at the time was Pacific Bell Mobile Services, which ultimately became AT&T Mobile. And from there, I started going into higher levels of management. I worked for several startups that were related to mobile technology. Uh, I did business development. I was the VP of sales for uh, another company. And uh, in the last decade, before FirePi, I was selling routing and logistics software and software solutions to Fortune 1000 companies. This was fascinating to me because... This was a technology that created more efficiency with routing and logistics. And I enjoyed it for a long time. But again, I was selling something. I wasn't building something. I wasn't creating something. So I knew that there was a change that I wanted to have, but I didn't know what it was yet. And then I was working for my friend's startup. And... Uh, I got laid off. The, the startup ended. And I was sitting on my couch one day. And I asked myself, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? What do I care about? Well, I'm obsessed with great pizza and convenience. And I asked myself a question. Can I deliver a wood-fired pizza in 15 minutes? So it took me about three months. I had to use this pretty complex software had routing, uh, had historical traffic data. And I asked myself from uh, an address that I would choose in a neighborhood in San Francisco. In this case, it was the Mission District. I chose an address. I said, how far can I drive in seven minutes in the worst traffic conditions? Friday nights at 7 p.m. And I pushed the button. And it was a huge footprint. And I realized, wow. I can deliver a wood-fired pizza in 15 minutes because it takes 90 seconds to two minutes to cook, two minutes to package, seven-minute drive time. I still have a buffer zone, and it covers about 12% of the city. So I took all my credit cards and all my savings, and I just decided to go for it, and I started FirePie, and it was terrifying. I remember in June, it was June of 2016, last year, it was me alone in this pizza trailer. I had no idea what the future held. I was terrified. And I think that month we did 3,000 in sales. Well, what a difference a year makes. 12 months later, June. Our sales were $76,000 for that month. I had 15 employees. So it seems to me that people like having pizza, as we say in uh, the motto, they like simple, fast, and amazing quality. And it seems to be working. So let me make sure I have the math right. So how long ago were you, you mentioned sitting on the couch thinking, what do you want to do with your life? How long ago was that? So it was uh, about two years ago and it took a year uh, to launch FirePie. I had to go out and, and custom design this special mobile food facility uh, that would uh, we could use for what the purposes of FirePie. Because uh, I'm guessing... Uh, food trailers or trucks, I don't know what you want to call it, like don't typically come with what a 800 degree or however hot oven? They're out there, but they're rare. And it is a special type of build. Uh, you're talking about a very, very heavy, big, heavy oven. It needs uh, special reinforcement. Uh, in addition to that, um, this also needed to be designed for delivery operations. So it needed to have a place to hand off to drivers as well as walk up uh, customers for events. And uh, the original idea was, was that we weren't even gonna have uh, walk up customers. We were going to have uh, these trailers discreetly uh, <clears throat> around the city 
placed in strategic locations around the city with their own limited delivery areas. And we were going to circulate drivers between them using our software technology for routing and logistics. But that changed because what I'm finding is that whatever my plans are, there's different plans. There's what the universe delivers, and then there's what I wanted to do. And it ended up being a fascinating journey. Uh, seeing how everything unfolded because 30% of our businesses are customers that walk up and they love it. That, that's how I found out about you all because I think I was walking home one day and I'm like, oh, this wasn't here before. Why don't I try it out? You know, like kids are cranky. Probably when I get home, it'll probably be happier if I show up with some pizza. So yeah, that, that was how I found out about it. That makes me so happy to hear that. The part of what you just said though that makes me the happiest is that it brought relief to you and a little bit of joy i hope because you were able to get those pizzas in about 90 seconds instead of waiting half an hour or an hour for delivery or even eight minutes if sometimes you can get a pizza maybe eight minutes if you walk up to a place so that's good so since you said 90 seconds i have to ask do you train your employees to say your pizza will be ready in about 90 seconds because that's what i remember them saying to me and i'm just like that really you know, emphasizes the fact of just how fast this is going to come out. And I think to quantify the time in seconds is, is pretty unusual for any you know, quality food experience. Uh, in fact, I do. Uh, I, everything that we do at FirePie is thought through as far as our brand experience. Our brand is everything. So we do, I instruct the employees to let uh, our customers know that the pizza will be about 90 seconds. Uh, and so that the customer knows they, first of all, they understand the significance of having this old Naples style wood burning oven and, and the convenience it provides. And also they're getting a high quality pie once they eat it. Very cool. I want to also go back to another topic that came up when I was preparing for our conversation. Um, and I, I can see your, your eyes moving around. Maybe you know where I'm going, but um, one of the things that came up was just how you seem to keep balance in your life, that you seem to be resilient. And of course that has come up in the context of also some, some hard experiences in, in your life. You know, I think one of the ones that, that came up a couple times was the passing of, of your mom. You know, I was inspired to start this podcast work because I was in grief for my mother and took some time away from work. I'm just wondering if you could talk about your, your experience with, you know, with mourning for your mom. I can. Well, <clears throat> the situation with my mom was that uh, my mom committed suicide. And that's a big lump, uh, you know, to swallow in life. So here's what was interesting about that situation. First of all, I just want to say for anyone out there, if you're thinking about committing suicide, please do not. Please get help because it can be devastating to the people in your life. This is a good time to encourage people to get help if they are in crisis. That could be going to your nearest emergency room or in the U.S. calling 911. If you prefer to text, another option is texting crisis text line at 741-741, up the left side of your phone, as covered in episode five. And for me, what I can say is that I still cannot get my arms around it. The grieving process is so confusing and complex. There was times when I would go between rage and empathy and sympathy and have those feelings at the exact same time and not knowing how to even handle that. Uh, and I will never get my arms around it. I don't believe there's closure in these situations. Uh, but what was interesting about that is my mom, uh, it, first of all, that suicide is not something that, uh, and there's no history of that in my family. And my mom actually uh, was... She had chemical dependency. She was uh, <laughs> coming off of, um, I believe, I don't remember which drugs, but uh, I think that had something to do with it. But nonetheless, uh, before that, I had a lot of problems with relationships and being vulnerable. And this is, even, what, this is 
three to four years after sobriety. Uh, so the drinking was a way to deal with these things. But then after uh, being <clears throat> sober a few years, I started to notice that there was this thing with me. Um, I felt in romantic situations that, I, uh, and someone actually said this to me one time. They said, Rick, you want to be the superhero Navy SEAL with the secret agent watch. Nobody wants to help that guy. <laughs> and I really did have that. It was hard to hear, but I felt when I was in a romantic relationship, I had to be the hero. I had to be perfect. A lot of the things that I believe a lot of other people go through. I was afraid to really show who I was. And my mom, su uh, my mother's suicide, uh, actually, uh, I needed help. And I had friends surrounding me. There was no superhero. There was no secret agent with the Navy, Navy SEAL watch. It was just me grieving. And Johanna uh, was one of the women that was a good friend of mine. And she was there to witness it. And she saw me. She saw me not as a superhero, but just me. And uh, we fell in love. So in a strange way... My mom gave me a gift, the ability to open up. Anyway, that's what I have to say about that. Thank you. I can't imagine that was, was easy. Uh, no, that was going back, it's, it's still hard to talk about. You mentioned having friends around you. I'm, I'm curious, what is it that you do to to maintain friend connections because for me I found like one of the realizations I had was that I I hadn't done enough of that someone had shared with me um this uh mnemonic of I don't know if it's a mnemonic anyway this abbreviation H-A-L-T that it's hard to be happy when you're either hungry angry lonely or tired and I was thinking well out of those four the thing that I'm having an issue with is is loneliness which wasn't immediately obvious to me because I was around people all the time but I wasn't getting those like the friend time if you will that's the thing that I was missing and since I've taken some time off I've I feel like I've reconnected because I've made time and had time to do that so I'm just wondering how do you approach maintaining friends because it seems like you actually already had that support structure in place when you needed it, you weren't suddenly confronted with the loss of your mom and then having to figure out like, who do I turn to? At least that's what it sounded like. It sounded like you maybe had had done the work of keeping those friendship connections um, so that they were there when you needed them. Well, that's a great question. And uh, I just have to say that I completely relate to what you're talking about too. It, it is so difficult to stay connected to all the people that I care about. We are all so busy. And then, when something happens, uh, I know that for me, there's, uh, <clears throat> I want to isolate. I don't want to connect. I want to crawl up and go inside. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to go outward. And part of that is healthy for me. I consider it to be healthy solitude. And part of it is isolation. And it's a tool that I use when uh, I'm in depression or grieving. And so, yeah, I mean, that's my experience as well. What I have to do to stay emotionally balanced is, again, it goes back to my 12-step work. I came to a conclusion a long time ago, and this even ties to fire pie and everything else in my life, is my job is not to win. My job is not to manage people, places, and things. My job is to add value part of that is that I need to show up and so I still show up uh, regularly for my 12-step meetings and I make that time because if I don't have that time it impacts every other part of my life and in that uh, a community developed in that community are people that I am connected with uh, people I see often we are able to go and uh, <coughs> even outside of 12-step obviously to have these uh, social activities and events and connection. But 
it all comes down to me really focused on adding value. And that means for 12 step, it means helping other people stay alive. And I believe there is no taller order, no matter what happens with fire pie or anything else in my life. And I'm, I've had my ups and downs. If I'm focused on helping other people stay alive, uh, everything else seems to fall into place. And as far as halt goes, yes, self-care is critical. That's the other thing that I've found is that in my relationships, when I am focused on my self-care, I am more present for the other people, other person or people in my life. So instead of looking to them to solve my problems, I focus on my own self-care and then I am present. So yeah, that's, that's true. But I always have to check hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And loneliness is something that people don't talk about very often. And it is an incredibly uncomfortable feeling. I know that for me, what happens is uh, I will be, I'll be at home and I will feel that feeling. It's this really, it goes deep and it, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable and I feel different and I feel the FOMO, fear of missing out. I have that, that comes up and it's all this story. It's a story, right? And um, what I've learned over the years for me is part of me being a grown up and uh, <clears throat> is learning how to sit with uncomfortable feelings and to know that they're temporary. The biggest snag for me, especially if I have depression, is that there's a story that goes on that says, this is not temporary. I'm always going to feel this way. And that starts to amplify the depression and create anxiety. And uh, But I just want to say that I... When I was going through my hard times, I still showed up. I showed up to help other people, and even when I didn't want to. And believe me, I just didn't listen to my thinking, and I just took action. And the action resulted in better results for me. That's great. And I think this is something that also came up when I was talking to people, that, that even when you're running your business, that you, that you make time for your friends that you might be busy with a bunch of things. But I think I heard that, you know, that two hours that you could have spent optimizing something for your business that, you know, it's not necessarily going to be missed because you spent those two hours or whatever spending time with a friend. That is true. And that's where the balance comes in. So my relationships are critical. Um, And they're everything. Now, I am busy. I'm busier than I've ever been in my entire life. Let me jump in and ask one question. When's the last time you took a vacation? Uh, Let's see. uh, Christmas and New Year's of last year. We were closed. (laughs) Those two days. (laughs) Yes. I haven't had a vacation since. Uh, and Or before that, ever since June of last year when we launched. Um, But I have to say this. Uh, I do want to start taking more time. The, what I'm realizing is I'm never going to get everything done. It's just not going to happen. Um, and for me to maintain the momentum, I need to take some additional time away. And I think we're getting there now. I have some good people, and we are delivering the brand experience. And I feel more comfortable now where I can step away a little bit. That's great. You made some comments before, for instance, if people out there are considering suicide, for example, and and I wonder if there are any other life lessons or messages that you have for people who might have had similar experiences, whether it's losing someone, um, dealing with substance abuse, thinking about making a major life change for, you know, professions or things like that. I wonder if any, any other sort of lessons learned that that you would like to share more widely yeah i i can yes i do have something to say about those three things as far as depression and the consideration of suicide i again i want to say to anyone out there get help before you make that decision 
because here's the thing. It is temporary. Even if your mind says it's not, it will get better. And I can tell you that I have, there's no way around the feelings, but there is a way through is what I learned. And when you get to the other side, the, there's something amazing that happens. And just please find out what that amazing thing is because it's there. Regarding um, <clears throat> taking risks, look, everyone has a different tolerance for risk. With, with me, I know at my core that what I'm doing needs to happen. I believe in this in every cell of my body. And it was not easy. Let me just tell you, taking a 75% pay cut taking all my savings and credit cards, that is a lot of risk. But show up and let the universe unfold is what I have found for me and go with the flow. And what's fascinating is that for me being completely focused on this goal, there are so many stories I can tell you about just unbelievable things that have happened that have just fallen into place with uh going for uh built doing fire pie i i'd love to hear one what do you have an example absolutely so right before we launched i was supposed to ha the first location that i had to launch in san francisco was this uh, <laughs> defunct gas station on 19th and south van s and for anyone out there that doesn't know san francisco it's not the best neighborhood but it was a location. I was so grateful for this location, right? So I went to Arizona. I, you know, I finally, I towed the trailer back from Arizona on the back of my Volkswagen Touring, and I pulled it over there and I was ready to start. And then the person managing the lot said, I changed my mind. Well, I couldn't believe it because I thought this location is the most amazing location and it's such a perfect spot and all these things. So I had to find a new location. So uh, I went online and I found this uh, gas, or excuse me, car wash that was going out of business over on the corner of Cesar Chavez and Valencia Street. Uh, I was highly skeptical that uh, this person would let me bring a food truck there, but I showed up. No matter what my mind told me, I just said, Rick, just show up, see what happens. So I showed up and sure enough, this guy said to me, uh, you know what? I've had a food truck. No problem. You can, uh, you can launch here, but I just want you to know something. Uh, in three months, I'm renegotiating the lease with the landlord. So you've got three months, uh, I can say for sure. And then I can't tell you unless I renew the lease. It's June. We launch July. We're operating, sales are growing. Mid-July, he comes over, he says, Rick, you have to go. I said, what are you talking about? He says, negotiations broke down with the lease. Long story short, uh, I didn't know, uh, so all the cars that were being rented out there uh, disappeared and it was just my trailer in the parking lot. He told me I wasn't allowed to talk to the landlord of the parking lot, he was subleasing it to me. And long story short, it's the fire pie trailer in an empty parking lot. I don't know if I'm going to get towed away from one day to the next. And I just sat with these uncomfortable feelings of not knowing. I was looking for new locations. None of them were panning out. And out of the blue, the owner, this guy, <laughs> calls me. And he says, hey, Rick. I own the parking lot where you're operating your pizza place and I love your pizza and I want to talk to you. I want to find out if you're interested in leasing the parking lot. Uh, I said, yes. Now, let me just explain something. We're a business that's, we're three months in business. To get a commercial lease in San Francisco like that is unheard of. But I gave my credit report and everything else and uh, we signed a lease and that is the launching pad for FirePie. Two weeks after that, the city designs that 
uh, intersection for all of the shuttles, the tech shuttles, to stop there. So Google, Yahoo, Amazon, Facebook, Genentech, all those shuttles stop right there in, near FirePie. Uh, at that corner. Right on that very corner, yeah. right when they're coming home from work, perhaps right. hungry, looking for food. Right, right. So that's just one example. I would have never imagined that. I was gripping this crappy uh, gas station on 19th and South Van Ness and, uh, you know, skeptical of this new location. But, you know, we just don't know. There's a bigger picture. There's something else happening. So it just fell into place. Great. And then I think there was a third thing maybe we were going to talk about if you have any thoughts for people who are maybe dealing with substance abuse. Yes, I do. So my experience is this. Uh, I would not, I, I couldn't stop and I couldn't accept the fact that I couldn't stop. But there's going to be, if you're like me and it has taken control I don't think there's any going back. Once I've crossed that line, once I did cross that line, I literally uh, was ruled by the, you know, call it the disease, the addiction. I was absolutely ruled by it. It owned me. And I really didn't have any way out. I was hopeless. Well, let me tell you something. That hopelessness and that desperation really paid off because I would rather my arm snap than ask for help. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that I've got everything under control. But I did. This is back to James Bond and yes. vulnerability. Yes, absolutely. And uh, but you know what? I something happened. It wasn't intellectual anymore. I knew at a deep down at a visceral level. I was completely and totally screwed and there was no way out. And that's when I asked for help. So my, my, my message for anyone who might be struggling is ask for help. But not only that, don't listen to your thinking. Take action towards getting well. That has been my experience. If I could make the decision to not drink and use drugs, I wouldn't need help. But... Every single day, I when I get up, I need to make a decision towards getting well. And that means for me, and everyone has their own different journey. For me, it's about 12-step, uh, going to uh, meetings uh, and helping other people that are suffering. So uh, that's my experience. And so just ask for help. The sooner you do, I'm telling you, the better. Okay, and I want to go now to your 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 vision for fire pie, where do you, where do you see this going? What's, what, what are your big plans? Thanks. Well, I love technology. I'm obsessed with great pizza and convenience. My plan right now is to complete my coverage of San Francisco to provide this new experience to more and more people. After that, I want to go to Los Angeles. Los Angeles is huge. It's actually two markets. There's West Los Angeles and Central Los Angeles. And I want to deploy these mobile food facilities uh, around uh, those areas of Los Angeles. Then I want to go to Chicago and then launch three cities on the East Coast. At that point, I'm thinking either Amazon or Starbucks or someone is going to notice us and maybe want to purchase us or I want to go public and then take this international. But I have, there's more. I always want to be a step ahead. There's another dining part of the day, which is breakfast. I want to compete directly with Starbucks. Imagine waking up in the morning. You want hot coffee, something hot, or pastry. You go to Fire Pie Breakfast on your mobile phone. You have a choice of a breakfast uh, of a vegetable or meat wood-fired frittata or a breakfast pizza, a couple of pastries, and a carafe of coffee. You order by the time you roll out of bed and brush your teeth. Breakfast is at your door. 
Now that's convenience. And the technology is there to do it. But my grander plan, in addition to that, is I want to compete with In-N-Out Burger. Now, people think I'm crazy. I, when I say these things, people roll their eyes. But you know what? I don't care. This is what I want to do. I Once we're in all of these cities that I talked about, the technology is there where when people give permission of their location, imagine you're driving back from Lake Tahoe. You know all those In-N-Out Burger signs off the side of the freeway? Imagine a what we call a super fire pie node, which is like a double-decker bus that's been converted to a wood-fired pizza kitchen. Uh, and it's parked, coincidentally, across the street from an In-N-Out Burger. We know that you're going to be approaching us off the highway in about 15 minutes. We send a push notification. You're approaching a fire pie kitchen. Are you hungry? You click yes. You reorder what you usually order, one of your favorite things, uh, or your favorite order that you usually have. Then navigation pops up and navigates you to the fire pie kitchen off the highway. And we know when you're three minutes away, so we know exactly when to fire your pizzas. You drive up, you show your code, we hand you a bag with hot pizzas curbside. Now that's convenience. That's more efficient than drive through So this is, these are some of my thoughts and plans for the future. And the technology is already there to do it now. Okay, so we've got uh, national, if not global, delivery, domination of pizza, breakfast, uh, lunch on the go. Um, and just to make sure we're checking in. So right now you have one location and you're delivering, I think, a radius around that, right? So you, you have right. the one place here in San Francisco. Right. So right now the, our proof of concept, which is uh, <coughs> complete, uh, we serve the Mission District, Bernal Heights, Noe Valley, parts of the Castro, parts of South of Market, Potrero Hill. Uh, each one of our portable kitchens, uh, which we call nodes, uh, has a limited delivery area where we can do the on-demand. I now want to go to uh, expansion in south of Market, closer to Portrero Hill, and then also in the marina, uh, and then possibly the financial district downtown. At that point, I believe our footprint will be complete uh, for San Francisco. Uh, so that's that's pretty much what we're doing right now. Cool. And are you able to like self-fund all this growth through your sales? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is going to involve uh, some investment. The investors that uh, join me now are going to do very well for themselves because we, this has to happen. This is the new way. People, especially the millennials, they don't even understand waiting. So what I'm betting on is that people that prefer high-quality pizza, when they have a choice between waiting 15 minutes or waiting an hour, they're going to choose 15 minutes. So I am raising money right now. I'm working with our accountant uh, to raise uh, $750,000 to complete San Francisco and launch our first phase of Los Angeles. And that's what I'm putting a lot of my time into now. And, you know, I got to tell you, that's a full-time job. And, you know, talk about being vulnerable, going out and telling my story and asking for money. It's a really interesting experience for me. But it, it's a great growth experience because I'm learning how to share what I need and share what I believe. Yeah. And and when you're talking with people, you said sharing what you believe, what do you, what do you emphasize? I know we've talked about some of that just here, but what, what are the things you emphasize when you talk about the things you believe in and, and why you're doing this business? Well, uh, I am obsessed with great pizza and convenience, and I believe that we all want more simplicity, quality, and convenience in our busy lives. I believe that. I can tell you really believe this, and at the same time, part of me is wondering, like, okay, when you say you believe in, in pizza and convenience, it it sounds like a little, I don't know, like like, business speak or something like why why does convenience for example why does that matter to you why is that why is that important why is that a thing that you care so much about okay that's a great question because it's about quality of life at the end of the day it's about quality of life i want you to think about 
the parents out there that are both overworked, right? And they have kids and those kids are hungry. And they want to feed their kids and they want a solution. They push the button and they're getting high quality pizza for their kids and them in 15 minutes instead of an hour. That adds value to people's lives. Or what about someone who's not a parent? What about all of us that are so busy and waiting an hour for a pizza is really disruptive to me in my opinion and now there's this new efficiency there's this new convenience there's this new experience so yes i jokingly say i'm obsessed with great pizza and convenience and i do i love great pizza and but i really do believe in convenience uh, i think that convenience brings quality of life and uh i want you to talk about salad because you also sell salad uh. So our operation to deliver what our brand experience, uh, our operation, we, we have a very, first of all, we have three pizzas, one size. They're 10 inch individual size, perfect for one hungry person or two people to share. We have our classic three cheese topped with fresh basil. We have our artisan pepperoni topped with fresh arugula and our vegetarian also top with fresh arugula. So so three pizza options, all the same size. And so I'm also seeing like the in and out menu board in my mind as you're talking where it's just a very straightforward set of options. Exactly. It's about simple. We'll do a little bit of off menu just like in and out does. But those are the classics. These are the most popular pizzas in America. So we perfected them. But here's the thing. That arugula also makes an amazing salad if you do it right and we through a lot of testing we made this amazing salad and so it's crisp fresh arugula uh, with fresh tomatoes uh, shaved parmesan cheese and then we make this dressing every day it's this basil lemon dressing and it's to die for people love it and it works because a lot of times people order pizza but then they feel guilty so for the health conscious spouse or uh, someone who wants some greens, this is a great solution. But I can't have more than one salad. So it's the arugula because our operation, we, that's what we have. So we use it. You're already using it on the pizza. Right, right. And it works. Yeah, I am the uh, green craving spouse or family member in my, in my family. So that's, that's what I look for. Great. Well, um, definitely I encourage you to to enjoy our salad whenever you can. So Rick, thank you so much. You, you've shared about your life, about your business, about your journey, balance, um, coming back from some pretty serious life events and situations. Um, I wonder if you have any, any last thoughts or anything that we haven't talked about that you want to be sure we cover before we wrap up. I think the last thing I want to say isn't even, this isn't about fire pie. This isn't about, you know, my journey. Uh, this is more something that I really think is important for all of us. And that's important for me is if you are grieving, please take the space to grieve. For me, when I lost my mom, I was really tired, you know, and so I started to sleep more. And then there was this voice in my head that would say, Rick, you're not being productive enough. You shouldn't be sleeping right now. You need to be doing more. You need to be this, you know. And I have to say, uh, please, grieve. And the biggest fear that I had when I grieved and why I avoid grieving is I'm afraid that if I go in, I'm never going to come out. But it doesn't, that's not true. So, uh, you know, this, not to end on a, on a note that's not a high note here, but please be kind to yourself. Grieve, sleep. If you're tired, sleep. Everybody will understand, no matter what your mind tells you. That's all I can say about that. Thanks. Rick, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I really appreciate the time and, and everything that you've shared. So thank you so much. 
Jay, thank you so much. It really means a lot to me. And I really appreciated our connection and our talks. Uh, and um, I, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I share your experience. And I appreciate the fact that you gave me an opportunity to share mine. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Rick Richmond. I also want to thank two listeners, Brian in San Francisco and Danny in San Diego, for giving me feedback that they wanted to hear more of my thoughts after a conversation. So in that spirit, I'm going to talk about three themes from my chat with Rick. I'm going to talk about taking risks, acceptance, and loss. First, taking risks. Rick set everything aside, using all his savings, maxing out his credit cards, and taking a 75% pay cut. He's also single and is starting with a fairly high risk tolerance, certainly compared to me. I mean, I have a family and financial responsibilities, but I am also taking risks. I've reduced my work hours by 10% and taken a 10% pay cut so I can be sure to have time to work on this podcast. That's the logistical side of risk taking. On the emotional side, I'm sharing personal details about myself in this podcast. I'm approaching others to do the same. You heard Rick talk about his mom's suicide. My guests and I are taking a chance that by being open and sometimes vulnerable, we will help listeners and others who've dealt with similar life challenges. To everyone who has encouraged me when they learned I am sharing authentic stories of real life challenges, I say thank you. Your encouragement means everything. I'm grateful you are making it so my guests and I can be heard. Next, acceptance. I really loved Rick's story about the location he ended up using for his pizza truck. When his initial location fell through, he didn't give up. I suppose his back was against the wall. He settled on a different location because he was desperate, but it turned out to be a great opportunity because a bunch of buses with tech employees stop in front of it now. It's like Rick said, show up and let the universe unfold. For me, I've mentioned that I meditate. With my meditation practice, I strive to live in the moment, to be aware of my thoughts and emotions, and to use that awareness to make deliberate decisions. I'm working on doing a better job of accepting reality, to let go of thoughts that waste my energy, and to pursue real opportunities I can influence. Part of my journey with acceptance is striving to know myself better. For example, I sometimes get caught up in the ambition of work, of desiring a fancier title, more responsibility, and yes, more money. But when I reflect on the precious nature of time, especially now that I've lost both my parents, I see work differently. I want to contribute professionally, I want to pay my bills, but I also want to leave space to take care of myself, my family, and my friends. I like how Rick acknowledged that he's never going to get everything done, so he needs to take time away and sustain his momentum. That kind of acceptance allows me to remind myself why I've chosen a balanced path when I feel twinges of professional envy. And now I want to talk about loss. Before I went to my first grief group, I felt alone and feeling so overwhelmed with so many emotions after losing my mom. I was scared because the pain was lasting longer than I expected. But in talking with others who've lost someone close, I've learned I'm not alone. I feel like I've joined a secret society. Rick and I shared an experience of loss. That's a special connection, so I consider him added to my society. If you haven't been through intense grief yourself, you may wonder what all the fuss is about and why I'm not moving on and setting aside this sensitive topic. It takes time and attention to process grief. Time and attention can be hard to come by in our world that is moving so fast and so full of distractions. I want to encourage us to be more gentle with each other. So if you know someone who has dealt with grief, consider that they may need more time and other kinds of support before they start to feel better. To be clear, feeling better doesn't mean the pain is gone, and the path to feeling better is often painful itself. When Rick was talking about people contemplating suicide, and I think this comment applies to depression, loneliness, and other forms of emotional distress, he said, there's no way around the feelings, but there is a way through. That's been my experience. Yes, it does get better. I'd love to hear from you. If this episode touched you in some way, or if you know someone with an important story to share, please contact me. You can send a note, or even better for including on the show, a voice memo to ggsgpodcast at gmail.com Include your name and phone number so I can follow up with you. 
Also, I have stickers. For a limited time, if you email me your mailing address, I'll send you a sticker with the show's logo. Again, the email address is ggsgpodcast at gmail.com. Lastly, if you like the show, please tell a friend who might appreciate it. If you want to help even more people discover this show, please rate it, review it, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Go Go Stop Go was produced by me, Jay Badenhope. Music by Poddington Bear. The show's website is gogostopgo.com. Take care of yourself.